Welcome to the iHemp Michigan podcast. iHemp Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success of industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. I have Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through hemp, and it begins with the farmer. This episode is brought to you by the Midwest iHemp Expo. This is your opportunity to learn, connect, and plan for a successful 2020 harvest. iHemp Michigan is hosting the Midwest iHemp Expo and Conference at the Lansing Center, Lansing, Michigan, on January 10th through 11th of 2020. Everything you'll want to know about industrial hemp from seed to sale will be available to you under one roof. Two packed days of speakers, workshops, trade show, and networking. Check out MidwestIHempExpo.com today to learn more. That's MidwestIHempExpo.com. Now, on to our show. Rusty Peterson and I visited our friends in Indiana at Hemp at the Crossroads. A big thanks goes out to Michelle Marie and Jamie Campbell-Petty from the Midwest Hemp Council for organizing this event. I'm learning only too well how much work goes into organizing and promoting an event. Well done, Michelle and Jamie. Both Rusty and I felt right at home with the group that assembled for the two days. Every hemp event we've attended or hosted include a great energy and excitement. This event was the same, only even more intimate and connected. We really couldn't decide if it was the closeness to home, smaller setting, or just the down-to-earth folks from Indiana and Kentucky that attended this event. Regardless, we learned more, and this plant demands your attention and has a lot to teach us. Plus, we made some new friends. The following conversations were with our new and some old friends in Indiana. Hope you enjoy. My name is Michael Yates. I'm with Farm CBD. Uh, Evan Ogburn, Farm CBD. Chris Yates, Farm CBD. So we got two brothers. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So how do you and feel? An and an uncle. And an uncle. Yeah. yeah. It's a family affair. That's, That's right. right. That's yeah, beautiful. We're family owned and operated. That's right. All right. So and we're here at the Hemp uh, at the Crossroads. Yes, sir. So are you guys members of Midwest I Hemp Council? Absolutely. Or? Yes, and first-year members for us. First-year yeah, members. That's right. So, tell me about your business. How did you guys get involved in this? Yeah, absolutely. I can I can paint the picture of our story. So, I come from the pharmaceutical industry um, as a chemist, formulation chemist, and then for five years prior to starting our business, I was a consultant in medical marijuana and industrial hemp space, trying to help states set quality standards to test biomass, final products, etc. Um, and what I saw through that was, you know, helping laboratories get quality data to really characterize products on the back end. There was a dire need for quality products in this industry. To know when I make a bottle of something and a consumer takes a bottle off the shelf, they're going to get a consistent experience bottle to bottle, batch to batch. 
And that's exactly what we do at Farm CBD. So we took pharmaceutical-based good manufacturing practice and then coupled that with knowledge of these products and how we can really make these products uniform from start to finish. So that's what we do in our business. We're vertically integrated. We grow CO2 extraction, and then we formulate on the back end. So we do everything start to finish. Um, we have our own brand, Farm CBD, but we also private label for several companies as well. Um, but we got in this for two reasons quality control and to make the highest quality products on the market as, as affordable as we possibly can to really provide relief for a lot of people in the industry and you know, worldwide. But secondly was to bring a new cash crop to our hometown in, in Kentucky. You know, tobacco is a dying breed, corn and beans, really the, with the tariffs and everything like that, the margins are really low. So we wanted to introduce hemp as a cash crop in a way to really drive economic development in our hometown. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so you have your nephews. Are you guys working the field? You you farming? I do um, majority uh, sales, marketing, um, taking care of our private label um, connections. I also do help with um, stuff that in the lab that we need. You know, helping hand and um, market or. Um, Labeling, bottling, stuff like that. I mean, I'm all over the place, and I think we all are, are right now. You know, we have. Uh, so there's five multiple, partners yeah. uh, myself and my brother. We were really the two that kind of spearheaded the movement. We started the company, we founded everything, brought Chris and Michael on. Obviously, these are my step nephews. So my brother married their mom, yep. and you know, but we grew up like brothers. He's a oh, year yeah. younger than me, he's a year older than me. Oh, okay. So we all grew up together. So, um, and then That's our cool. cousin, Jonathan Turner, he's the farmer of the bunch so he, he takes care of everything on the field side so, so he does yeah. the field, yeah. Yeah. field yeah. side and that's why he's not here right now because he's still busy oh yeah we're we're still yeah. trying to get harvested uh, uh, yeah, a little bit of harvest left the, but then yeah just processing at the end bucking things like that getting things ready for processing at that point so it's yeah. a lot of work how yes, many sir. acres you guys grow uh, well we set out with the goal to do close to 100 but we end up getting about 60 in the ground so yeah. rain really hit us pretty hard well that's a lot so we of got out late um, there's a lot of uh, I guess options we had to overcome really to get the out this year, but everything turned out well. Plants are very healthy, producing really well, so yeah. excited to start extracting. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get your product line for uh, next year. No, that's yes, right. Uh, let, I want to talk about the 60 acres for a second because I, I just did one acre and uh, I had no idea how much biomass that was to hang. And, sure. And so you guys can't be hanging 60 acres, are you? No, we do. You do? Yeah. You have like, well, you're in Kentucky, so you probably have like tobacco? Yeah, tobacco, tobacco farms. farms. We're using right now a, a similar model to tobacco. You can't hang as many hemp plants on a stick as you can tobacco, so it takes up a lot more room, you know, mm -hmm. over time. But luckily for us, we have a lot of infrastructure that we have access to very large tobacco barns that we can hang into. Um, so that's kind of the process that we've taken on that. And yeah, it's all coming together slowly. So it's oh, yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's exciting, a lot of work. Uh, but the cool thing is now is that we can, with this grow and the different varieties that we're testing, we can start to test those biochemical profiles on the back end to see which variety really provides the best benefit for sleep and pain, inflammation, et cetera, because it all kind of works synergistically and it starts with the genetics. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the terpenes. Exactly, that yes sir, yeah. And that's what we're about. I mean, that's, uh, I think two things really set us apart from a, a product standpoint is us using CO2 extraction and the method by which we use that, we're able to preserve so many terpenes. So our terpene profiles on our products 
from a percentage standpoint, and not only that, overall efficacy are better than any products on the market. I'll put that up against anyone. And that's what we really believe in is the terpene efficacy with the cannabinoids. It really provides that full picture. Tell, tell me about your testing uh, procedure. What, how do you guys? What do you guys use for testing? Oh, okay. So we do everything. Uh, it's independent, third-party tested by ISO 17025 accredited laboratory. Um, that's kind of my background was helping these labs kind of get up. So I've I've developed the methods to test these products. I've started you know soup to nuts. So I know everything on what really needs to be done in the laboratory space. So that gives us a leg up. We get data back, and good or bad, we can always question each step, so make sure we're getting a representative number, right? So we take uh, several split samples, composite those into three composite uh, samples, and send them out for each batch. So each batch of our product has three C of A's. So statistically speaking, if I've got three samples from several subsamples taken from a batch, I'll have a better characterization of that or representation of that batch compared to just taking one C of A off a million bottle batch, right? So that's how we're able to control quality and know that each one of our products are uniform. So, so tell me about your uh, product line. You showed me some of the, you have some tinctures here, but the, uh, the roll-ons and such, you, you, had, yes, sir. you had some uh, super secret sauce in your one roll-on. Yes, what's, sir. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, so we do. I think our topical salve is probably our best product, to be honest with you. Uh, it's a formula that's been around for about 40 years now. Uh, my mother-in-law actually helped us with, she's been making that product for 40 years, but we started extracting CBD, so we just kind of infused everything together. So now we've got a product that was already very anti-inflammatory, but we're adding the best anti-inflammatory agent on the market with the full spectrum oil. And it just it provides a really great punch. A thousand milligrams of CBD for every two ounces, so you're getting about 20 milligrams per gram. On top of camphor, eucalyptus, lavender, pe you know, menthol, peppermint oil. So we're getting some really good um, testimonials. Have been yeah. outrageous, amazing. So you've got this tried and true home remedy yes, salve using lavender, eucalyptus, and different essential camphor. Several different essential oils and different because we know those are anti-inflammatory in and of themselves. And then we add that to a, a beeswax lanolin base that allows it to stay on your skin for you know up to two to three hours relief sometimes, depending on how much you put on. So. And then, yeah, so now you've taken it to the next step to infuse it with CBD and- Yes. And, and bada boom, bada bing, you gotta, heaven, you gotta, you know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and then we do multivitamin gummies. We have soft gels we're coming out with soon. We have a cream base for folks that don't like the, the texture of the lanolin salve. So now we have a very potent menthol-based cream we're coming out with as well. Fast absorbing, just doesn't stay on as long as what the, the salve would. And then we have a whole line of tinctures, THC-free tinctures, all the way down through to full spectrum. But in every one of our products, they're high in terpenes. So every product, we have no product that just has any cannabinoid by itself. We always infuse a, a proprietary blend of cannabis terpenes on top of it, so you get that full entourage effect. So, so where can people find your products? Uh, www.pharm-cbd.com, so farmcbd.com. Uh, order online, uh, look us up. There, shipped to your door, all 50 states, internationally as well. So, so I, I hear rumor you guys are coming to Michigan. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. All yeah. right. So yeah. we'll see you at the Midwest IHEP Expo, January 10th and 11th. January 10th and 11th. Yeah, we're excited about that yeah. one. Yeah. I have some buddies that live in Grand Rapids, so i got to visit them. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's uh, our, our cousin to cannabis, uh, 
although Geronimo says it's not really true, but I mean, it has a lot of similarities. The hops, oh, sure. Grand Rapids, there's breweries. Yes. There's like 150 breweries around Grand Rapids. So, wow. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting as uh, this cannabis industry develops. I, I, I see that same path being taken with like some craft, you know, you know, like you have a, we're going to have micro grows, right? Sure, so, sure. you know, people are uh, going to be coming out with their own, oh, absolutely. Their own special sauce. Yeah. So, and, and one of the paths you offer, if somebody's growing their favorite genetic and they have their favorite terpene profile, you'll be able to take that and, absolutely. and work with them? Yeah, so we do that for a lot of smaller farmers and that's one way that we really try to help the industry right now because there was such a surplus of biomass. Mm -hmm. Farmers are having a really difficult time finding avenues to sell it. Even if they are able to sell it, the, the price point is barely enough to make their margin back on the expense to grow it, right? So what right. we do is take that biomass in, um, extract that out, make that a certain lot of oil, and we can either sell that as bulk oil or take it to final product. If someone's interested in having their own brand or a custom product on the market, we can use that oil to, now, to formulate that for them. Now you're leveraging that plant and you're, they're able to Oh yeah, so now your profit nice goes, profit, okay, yeah. I, I barely made anything, now I can actually stretch that out and make tenfold what I would have if I was trying to sell it outright. Well, well and then these products are shelf shelf stable so you know they can be exactly. stored for a while at least up to 18 to 20 months you know yeah. sometimes two years pretty easily so i mean that's and we've got stability data on all of our products to prove that you know it's you don't get any degradation that's why we really don't do anything water soluble based or anything like that it's all in oil very stable um, and overall quality wise you're not going to find better products on the market Looking forward to meeting folks in Michigan and you know helping folks up there just the same way we are sure. down here. So. All right, we're looking forward to having you, Ivan. Yeah. Chris, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, man. All right, yeah. thank you very much. Launched about two weeks ago. Beautiful. My name is Shadi Corey, and I'm the other co-founder of Zizzy Snap. <laughs> and we launched about two weeks ago. Okay, and I'm Dave with IHAP Michigan, and this wasn't even on my radar a year ago, and uh, here we are. It's been it's been an incredible journey. Yes. Yeah, it has. So we're we're here at the uh, Hemp at the Crossroads. Uh, you, you, and you said you launched when? About two weeks ago. Two weeks? Uh-huh. Two weeks. This whole thing two weeks ago? Two we've, weeks. Well, we've been working on it for close to you seven launched. months. Okay, all right. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, we, the, from the time the concept was dreamt of into actual reality and having finished product and packaging, it took about seven months, but two weeks ago we just got everything in, so it's pretty exciting. And you guys are located right here in Carmel, Indiana. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, you have a connection there. I, I don't know if Uniden is still there. Uniden. Uniden. Sounds yeah. used to be familiar. What yeah, is that? Bearcat, you know, but they they sold two-way radios. But anyhow, it's a okay. another lifetime ago. Nice. I, used to, I used to come down here a lot. Okay. Nice. But uh, uh, very nice area. So, did you guys grow this year? 
No. No. So you're not on the growing side. What you're doing is you have your own brand of CBD products. Correct. Correct. And what I'm seeing here is unlike anything anyone else is doing. Tell me, how did that come about? Well, uh, about six, seven months ago, we were talking about starting a CBD company, but we knew it needed to be different because the market was already, you know, pretty saturated. So we were talking and, you know, we're kind of thinking, well, we want to create something that doesn't have the hefty price tag that people can, you know, be introduced to the CBD market, the CBD industry. So he came up with the idea of initially a ketchup packet. <laughs> That's how this yeah. all began. We wanted to, we basically wanted to create a single-use CBD product that didn't come with that expensive price tag to allow people to try CBD without buying a 30 mil bottle for $50, $60. So we wanted to create something sub $5 for people to try CBD. And the way that we created our CBD products using terpenes to enhance the effects of just the cannabinoid profile um, creates that immediate effect that people are looking for. So we wanted to create a product that people could see the effects, try under five bucks, make it really convenient. You know, I've got three of them in my wallet right now and take the guesswork out of CBD, you know, and we made it very plain and simple. What do you need? Energy, focus, relief, or sleep. The four things that people need in life. And the way we came up with the name was actually pretty funny. Um, Amanda is my girlfriend and like any other 30 year old woman, she um, starts off lot. every sentence with I need. I need, I need a lot. You know, every morning it was like, Babe, we need new bath towels. Babe, we need a new rug in here. Babe, we need this. Like, I really need to get a Starbucks on the way to work today. Yeah. So I decided to play off of that. And it's like, you know what? Everybody needs something. It's a very psychological thought process every single day. Why not make it easy and bring it into our brand? So that Why not make it ZZ? Why not make it easy with ZZ? Easy with ZZ. Exactly. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, yeah. Amanda, you have a, a marketing background, so that's what. Um, yeah. You know, do you have a who's who's the chemist here? What? How, how do you guys know what terpenes and how'd you figure that out? To you know, to, and, and tell me about your four four different ones and what kind of terpenes are mm -hmm. going on. With so, that? so the terpenes are actually a proprietary mix of terpenes that most people have heard of before. And the actual formulation is not done by us. It's done through a third party okay. because we didn't want to. We had found someone who made the perfect blend and we really liked their product. So we took their blend, bought it from him, and now it is all co-packed for us. And we outsource all the manufacturing so that it's done better than we could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's someone that's already doing this Correct. type. Correct. And they can do it at scale? Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay. Of course. So, so that's something we made sure of at the yeah. very beginning. Because we come from a manufacturing background. At least I come from a long history of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And we've realized in time that sometimes the best thing you can do is let someone who knows what they're doing do it mm -hmm. than trying to figure it out yourself. Yes. We decided we'd stay in our lane on yeah. this one. Stay in our lane and just really sell our product because that's what we can do best. Mm -hmm. Cool. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And I, I tasted it. I tried some of the energy and uh, I'm hanging in there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Second well, day good. of the show. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Good, good. So, so what do you think about the hemp community? What, uh, what's been your impression? I mean, coming from corporate America, I absolutely <laughs> love the hemp community because Everyone's a lot more friendly. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to see each other succeed. And the nice thing here in Indiana, everyone wants to 
grow together and grow with each other. We're not competing against each other. We're all learning how to grow together, how to make the world a better place. Yeah, and to add to that, you know, I've been in the e-cigarette industry since 2013. So it is nice to see, it's nice to be in another industry at its infancy, especially being here, you know, in Indiana where hemp was just legalized last year or earlier this year for that matter. Uh, It's been really cool to watch it all grow and it's growing so rapidly and it's been cool to meet all the new farmers that are wanting to get into the business and, and see something happening here in Indiana. It's been really cool to watch that. Well, this has got to be a, a, a like a fresh new start for you. I can't imagine the e-cigarette business is doing really well right now with all our vaping <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate that the news, you know, spread the way that it did, and we got targeted as a vape industry. You know, as a nicotine industry, we got bunched in with the black market THC industry. Which is unfortunate, but you know we'll weather the storm and hopefully people understand what is causing the problems. But ultimately, it calls for a, a better understanding of you know legalization of marijuana nationwide, so there's no longer a black market for cannabis products. Yeah, I think. Yeah, if it's available and, and we have the regulations, so the producers can be vetted. You know, like what you've done, you've gone to someone that you know is already. I'm sure they're ISO compliant. Yeah, it's yeah. an FDA, FDA certified facility. Um, you know, everyone in the equation has been vetted, and we found that they are the right people for this project. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's got to be exciting. It so is. Congratulations on the launch. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and I hear you guys have this crazy idea to come to Michigan in January. <laughs> we'll be there. We're going to be there. We're super excited and that's can't cool. wait. We'll even cut our travel short to make sure we're back in time. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, looking thanks forward for to seeing us. you guys in Michigan at the yes. Midwest IHAP Expo. Um, looking forward to, to getting you engaged with our audience. It's, yep. We look forward to being there. Yeah, maybe we can work something out where we, uh, are you doing door bags? Yes. Well, let's put our product in every door yeah. bag. Yes, sir. Right. That'd be Sounds fantastic. Good. Sounds good. We'll All do right. that. We'll put together a sample of one of each or something yeah. for every door bag that comes in. We'll work it all out. And, uh, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Thanks Sounds for good. your time, guys. Yeah, Thank of course. you. Thank you. <laughs>
the equipment business. What what motivated you to do that? It just seemed like it'd be a good opportunity. When we uh, we both wanted to go back to the farm, but now with me and my brother both wanting to go back, farming farming being difficult as it is, land being high, it just wasn't a good opportunity. So we ended up purchasing this company, being close to home, agricultural market, it just seemed like a good idea. We really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I get a really good vibe from the whole farming community. Yeah. yeah everybody's you know, humble, you yeah. know, and wanting to learn. So I can understand the desire to get into the community. So so this uh, equipment, you, the Ukraine, what, what's the name of the company again? It's ISM. ISM. Um, it's an easy way to say it. I can't pronounce the Ukraine way to say it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so what it is, there's about three different companies that, that make the similar product and it's all um, patented, excuse me, patented in the Ukraine so we really can't build it over here in the states yet. Um, so we teamed up with them, we became a national distributor um, and it's a pretty pretty uh, interesting piece of equipment. Uh, it's, it's extremely simple. Uh, basically it goes off of air flow and density of your seed and it will take any commodity that you can throw into it. And him being the sticky dirty plant that it is, uh, uh, with no screens, no filters, no moving parts, um, nothing to build up, it, it, it's got a good fit. Yeah, you know, I can see that, you know, we're, you know, in Michigan, we, just about everybody grew for CBD. I, I know mm -hmm. my partner and I have, uh, Blaine, he grew 70 acres of uh, grain, but uh, he's about the only one I'm familiar with, and I can see how this will work where you said Justin was showing me where the heaviest seeds are those the ones that have had the best opportunity for germination so you can use those to replant for next year yes sir and and those slightly lighter seeds are going to be what you're going to use for either hemp hearts or hemp oil mm -hmm. whatever the product is they want to go after yeah and then you got your fodder fodder and biomass coming out the end we're gonna do some research, hopefully, with Purdue. They're wanting to borrow this uh, unit to do some cleaning as well, and to see if, okay, is, is the stuff coming out the back, you know, is it, do we get rid of it? Can we pelletize it? Is it uh, have nutrient benefits for, for uh, a livestock feed or poultry or, or any aspect of it? Um, so hopefully anything that goes in this machine, we're going to be able to utilize. Wow, and that, that's the beauty of the hemp plant, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah. You know, every part of the plant has yeah. a use. Yep. You know, it's, and uh, talk, talk about the seed for a minute, because I don't think enough people really understand the, the benefits of the hemp grain. So the seed is extremely small. Um, we have to harvest it at a higher, a uh, little bit higher moisture content because if it gets so dry, it's just gonna shatter when you try to harvest it. We harvest that seed. Um, you're also gonna get a lot of uh, foreign matter, impurities when you harvest that, and that's why we need to clean that seed out. Um, when we clean the seed, a lot of guys are gonna to wanna to store it, and you cannot have this foreign matter in the bin with, with, uh, with the seed, because that foreign matter is what retains all the moisture. Um, so we're hoping guys will clean their seed this way if they're wanting to store it. Um, it's a very hard seed, very small, very hard, um, and, and uh, so it's, it's pretty, pretty resilient and there's a lot of things you can actually do with this seed. Our main market and our business plan is, I guess, for guys that are wanting to do seed production, 
Right now, a lot of the hemp seed is purchased from Canada uh, or overseas. Uh, with this industry booming, I'm sure there's going to be breeders out there that we're going to get a we're going to get a plant that's going to be suitable for our area, our climate, mm -hmm. and uh, it all starts with with cleaning it, and starting with the clean seed and breeding and quality seed. And quality seed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from the uh, video that you showed, it looks like what's coming into those bins, you know, it's, it's really clean. Yeah, yeah I'd yeah. say it's about 99% clean seed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we ran it with corn, and it'll take out your aflatoxin, vomitoxins, um, your impurities. Uh, so there's a lot of avenues we can go with this that, you know, if you're a conventional uh, row crop farmer, um, maybe one other way you could, could uh, make this machine economical is to use it for more than one crop. So, so if a farmer wanted one of these machines, how long does it take to get one? Well, we're hoping uh, about a month or so. We're hoping month. to get a container load after the first of the year. This is our first model. Uh, we just kind of want to test the waters. It seems like we've got a pretty good response. Um, and we're putting an order together as we speak. Okay. It'll take about a month and a half to get overseas. So, so you guys uh, are, are brave. You know, you yeah. launched into a new business and. Uh, Launched in a new business in and inventory and a new industry and uh, buying stuff from someone you've yeah, never been in, in contact with. In a foreign you know, country, yeah, yeah, nothing to it, no yeah, big deal. Uh, you look uh, like smart guys, I'm yeah. sure you can figure it out. <laughs> I guess. Tell our wives that, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, we, um, we're really enjoying it. Uh, everyone here has been great. Um, it's fun to see the, the, the positive people, the excitement. No mm -hmm. one's really for sure where they want to be in this market, but. Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a lot to learn um, and we also see with this machine that okay maybe the guy that's growing the 15 acres can't justify purchasing this machine off right offhand uh, we see guys possibly buying a larger units and it can be set up to mobile clean uh, mm -hmm. to go around to different operations and clean for the smaller farmer yeah and, and I can see a lot more grain. We didn't see much grain in Michigan this year because you know the, just all the hype was about CBD. Yeah. But I, I see that coming. You know that it, you know the amount of labor it takes to grow CBD flour versus growing grain. It's there's a big difference. Yeah. So you know the grain can you know the traditional row farmers that already have thousands of acres can start growing this crop. And, right. And this is a way to to, to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, great opportunity for you guys. Yeah, I'm excited you. for you. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. And I understand you guys are coming to Michigan in January. Yeah, that's we where are. everybody wants to be, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go south. Let's go north. Yeah, yeah you bet. It's fun. <laughs> so we're looking forward to seeing you at the Midwest IHAMP Expo. And appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice to meet you guys here in uh, Indiana. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you need to share? That no, um, we hope to have some demonstration uh, up in Michigan that we will uh, <clears throat> get our hands on some of this uh, this uh, unclean hemp seed and, and uh, hopefully have a demonstration show that out there so we can show everyone what this machine will actually do. Cool. Well, I'll talk to Blaine so he might have some seed for you that we can set aside. So I'll check with them. Great. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you. much.
chip car with Green Bee Grove, and we have designed and built a automated pre-roll machine. We're, Chip, we're, you're here at the uh, Hemp the Crossroads. Is this, uh, you know, you engineered this incredible pre-roll automation tool. Is this uh, new to you? This, this is our first, first trade show. This is our debut of the machine. So uh, I am new to the pre-roll industry starting as of June this year. So my, my nephew got me involved in it and uh, we designed and built this machine along with a 3D company out of Rensselaer, Indiana. Excellent. And so your nephew, uh, is he involved in the hemp industry? Uh, he is. He is in North Carolina and they are brokers for uh, hemp flour and doing pre-rolls and okay. gummies and you know uh, a processor i guess so he, he understood the dynamics of the business and saw the opportunity here and talked you into it yes and you yes. have a background in engineering and automation automation and engineering yes yes so you started this project in june what what was it like to to develop this process well it, it definitely made it a lot easier with the 3D printing because you know you could make an error and have a part made in a couple hours to make your correction. Oh, because uh, all your parts are made with the 3D printer. They are. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, we do use some carbon filament 3D printing for the heavier crimping stations, so you have your know, higher strength in the components. But everything on the machine, just about everything on the machine, is 3D printed. Wouldn't it be cool if it was 3D printed out of uh, hemp? Yes. Hemp filament. And actually, I talked to a gentleman about that, about that, that hopefully they're coming up with that, and that's what we will do. Yeah, I see that coming. I've talked to some young man. Uh, he's out in Oregon. He's sitting on 25,000 acres of biomass. He's yes. looking to launch that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, it's exciting times. So what... Uh, you know, what do you see the potential for this? Is, is there a lot of interest in, from farmers? Um, we have gotten a lot more interest than what I believe we would on it. Um, and I, I believe that the flower gives them a little more uh, profitability than just doing the biomass. Uh, and the interest has shown that. And with the vaping industry having a little bit of stigma right now, I think the pre-rolls are going to come even to be a larger market than what they originally planned. Yeah, there's so. definitely the higher end of the market. So yes. you're giving them a path. Where, how many pre-rolls can they fill? So on a small machine, it should do between 500 and 1,000 per hour. And on the larger machine, between 2,000 and 3,000 an hour. And, and how prepped does our flower have to be in order to... Um, it's not ground super fine. It does have to be ground to what I call about an eighth inch grind on it. Um, I don't think that's the right terminology for them, but that's kind of uh, it's kind of an operator dependent right now because they just put it in the grinder and they say, okay, we're running it for three seconds. And with this batch, 
that gives us the grind that we want to kind of look at it and say, okay, that's what we want. So there's not a uh, specific spec that they can grind to. So Green Bee Grill will in 2020 come up with a grinder that you can set a spec to and say, I want it ground to this consistency and that grinder will grind that flour to that consistency automatically and feed the machine. So imagine the, uh, the consistency it's ground to is gonna impact how well it smokes. Exactly, and I really didn't understand that real well um, until I <laughs> talked to my brother who is a big uh, pipe smoker in that, and I showed him what I had ground. He says, oh no, that's too fine. It's not gonna burn right. And then you have to grind, grind it a little heavier so it's a little thicker so it burns but right. Maybe you need more air yes, space I guess. around that where it's not just like compacted. Yep, or it, I guess it will do a uh, it'll worm where it just burns in a certain side of the of the oh. free roll. Yep. So. Yeah, those runs. Runs, yeah, there you go, yeah. 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 So you're learning a lot about the whole pre-roll industry. Yeah, more more than I wanted to know at this age. <laughs> so what do you think about the community, the, uh, the hemp community? What's been your impression? Um, it's a great community. Uh, we really got involved in uh, April of this year uh, to grow. Uh, we, we had to grow. We applied for a grower's license, indoor grow. And I'm very, everybody's so open. And it really is... Um, pardon the terminology, but kind of a hippie industry. It's very open and people are friendly and willing to talk and work with you. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah a lot of, the farming community is humble. Yes. You know, they just want to figure it out and help each other out. So it's, it's, yeah. uh, well, we're, we're really happy to have you a part of this. So I understand you're going to be in Lansing at the Midwest IHEMP Expo. Absolutely. And we're excited about that because that'll be our first debut of having a operational machine at the show. Excellent. Yeah, we want you to bring some flour and uh, you know, roll up some pre-rolls and show them how it works. That'll be beautiful. Yep, absolutely. Uh, this has been an incredible journey for you. I can't, I've got to imagine pulling all this together. Yes, very quick. Whirlwind. Yeah. But the whole market's a little bit like that right now. It sure now. is. Sure. Well, I wish you success, and I look forward to seeing you in Lansing. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Crossroads in Indianapolis, Indiana, with Marty Manning from the Indiana Farmers Union, is that correct? That's correct. Pay attention sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, Indiana Farmers Union, perhaps uh, not in your name, you, you've been working with farmers for a little while. I have. It actually, uh, we have a hip sub chapter within the Indiana Farmers Union that I am the current president of. Uh, but my primary role with the Farmers Union is as a board member uh, and as a fifth generation farmer that's how I became a, a member of the Indiana Farmers Union is because of their um, 
dedication to small family farms and specialty niche crops. Mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't really get much more specialty than niche than uh, that, does it? That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So how how are things going this year in Indiana? Well, uh, all in all, I think they're going well. Uh, maybe that's an optimistic term, but not as bad as the naysayers would have you believe. You know, mm -hmm. it's something new. That it's not to say that there aren't plenty of stories of failures out there, and uh, even within myself. Um, you know, I've got product uh, that, that hasn't made it to market yet, but mm -hmm. that's okay. Uh, the vast majority of us, are, you know, we're still in research year here in Indiana, mm -hmm. and um, so commercial sales wasn't supposed to be the intent uh, of most of the growing this year. And if you look at it from that perspective, then I consider it a success because, boy, we've gathered <laughs> a lot of research. We learned a lot. That's yeah. right. So the big thing I, I think we all learned is hemping is hard. Uh -huh. That's that's exactly right. Hemping ain't easy. So in Michigan, most people grew for CBD, but I, I get the sense that in Indiana, you had a lot more grain and fiber being grown. Well, as an overall percentage, I think you know we had um, the majority was CBD as well, but there was a significant portion of fiber and grain um, planted this year. Um, out of the the 3,000 acres of total that was planted, I believe there was um, around 1,200 acres of fiber planted, and um, I'm not for sure of the amount of seed or grain that was planted because th there was both. There was some seed production grown and there was some grain grown, and I'm not for sure what that total acreage was, but uh, there were several hundred acres grown. So if you look at the numbers, you know, 3,000 3, acres was, was I, grown? I believe that that's the total acres that they believe got plant, actually got, got, got planted. planted. Right. Okay, so out of uh, what, what was uh, identified? Yeah. 5,000, a little over 5,000 acres. So about two-thirds, I'm not yes. sure. My son's a math so, um, so, you know, I think we've probably seen a similar ratio in Michigan. What, do you, you guys have a lot of farmland here in Indiana. Um, what do you see for 2020? Do you see a lot more being grown? Well, there's definitely a lot of interest, and um, had the USDA's regulations come out in a more timely manner to where uh, that was going to be ironed out and the state could fall in line with that, um, things would change. But it looks like we are probably going to be starting off the 2020 year still under research uh, regulations. Mm -hmm. So that uh, in and of itself will will um, limit the amount of permitting in, in acres just because you still got to have a research project um, in conjunction with someone from Purdue in order to get a permit. So, so Purdue seems to be kind of the driver of, of this? Yeah, well they have to be, you know, if you're still working under the 2014 Farm Bill, which, you know, we still would be in Indiana, um, it specifically states, you know, you've got to be part of a research project with an institute of higher education. Uh, that's Purdue or Vincennes University in southern Indiana. They're a participant also, but I think it's just those two universities. Now, it also states for Department of Agriculture, and that's what Michigan did is they went right, you know, Department of Ag opened it up because the universities uh, 
weren't prepared to do that. So that's right. The Department of Ag stuff Not in Indiana. Uh, what we've come to learn, and actually there was a, a gentleman from uh, ISDA that spoke this morning, and uh, what we have learned is that Indiana's Department of Agriculture has really no regulatory authority. They regulate grain elevators. And I think that's it. Other than that, they are, uh, for lack of a better term, a marketing agency. I, I heard that Indiana didn't even have a Department of Ag until recently. Is that true? I don't know that uh, that's true. Okay. Um, I can't confirm it. So that doesn't sound right. Okay, a lot of things. So, yeah. So it's just interesting how every each state is different in the way they're handling hemp. That's right. And, and now um, we're going to have to conform to uh, the USDA rules. And it was, I think it's really good that uh, Justin Swanson, the president of the Midwest Hemp Council, seems, you know, and we have one right here. He's actually it's USDA rules and, and the things that we need to address. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That was uh, well thought out. And it, I think that's something that we really need to get our arms around you know, making these recommendations on these issues. Can you, can you speak to any of them or anything that? You know, and, and I second your comment, you know, Justin uh, putting this together, that was the first uh, really synopsis of it that I had seen. And I think the entire document's 171 pages or something. 166. 166, right? Mm -hmm. So as I look through it, you know, the first thing I did is I went to the page with the charts Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look through those because I can comprehend that, but, um, you know, it's too much for your average person to go through those pages. So to actually have somebody like uh, Justin and those individuals to, to peruse through it and to bring forward these type of points, was it, it's a great value. And I think he did a good job of focusing on, in, in his instance, he, he picked five key issues that he saw as important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he did a really good job of, of identifying those issues and more importantly, and what Justin will tell you, is uh, having the solution to those issues. Right. Um, you know, he, he points out, and I'm a believer also, that the USDA, they, they genuinely do want feedback from us, but they don't want just a whole list of this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. You need to provide some sort of proposed solution, how that affects your farm or your business, and how um, they can uh, write those rules to, to not harm your, mm -hmm. your business plan. So. Yeah, yeah, it's something we need to all be involved in the process. Yeah, if that's we, right. If we want a better outcome. That's right. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see uh, how this all plays out. So you know, I know Michigan's uh, going to operate under their research program again for 2020, and uh, so, you know, we just don't see this as uh, you know the USDA rules, everything being in place in time. We'll see how that plays out. It's yeah. I don't think it will. I, you know, they'll. No one really has an idea, even after December thirty first, how long it'll be before the, you know, the department releases their finals. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're we're looking to uh, just make it through this year, you know, in that research mode, then and kind of try to have our industry ready for twenty twenty one is probably you know what we're really looking for and. 
I don't know that that's a bad thing. Right now, Indiana is definitely not in a position to accept the amount of product, and whether that be um, cannabinoid production or fiber production, whatever, we don't have the processing capacity in place to accept that. Mm -hmm. So if things were to open up wide this year to where anybody could get a permit, there'd be a whole lot of people sitting on product without home, I'm afraid. So yeah, we've seen some of that in Michigan. There's things coming together on the processing side. I was impressed the uh, third wave hemp, you know, uh, Thursday night we went and saw their drying operation. It sounds like it's going to scale up and that's, that's a pretty big operation. It sure was. Um, you know, it's, they are building that strictly for their business. Um, it doesn't necessarily at this time help um, Indiana as a whole, mm -hmm. um, you know, and other type of far farmers, but just having that model here in the state, you know, something for other organizations and businesses to look to, to see, you know, how things can be done. Yeah. That, that's a huge value in and of itself. Yeah, because that's a big bottleneck, you know, the, the, at the harvest time, how to dry it, because mm -hmm. even, you know, you know, it just takes up so much space. Absolutely. Yeah. So did you grow yourself this year? I did. Um, I grew nine and a half acres of fiber, and uh, I tucked, 500 plants into that other half acre um, that I had sitting there in the field and uh, you know that was strictly just to, to see what it took how hard it was going to be and everything and uh, you know I definitely learned a lot with those 500 plants even. So you did 500 for CBD? Yes. Um, not too bad. Uh, we had several issues as I did um, uh, mulch film and drip tape irrigation and all that this first year and I had headaches and nightmares with my irrigation system um, and therefore my fertilization that went along hand in hand with it and and that failed and uh, you know so towards the end of the season things were just left to, to go as they as mother nature takes that's right you know we maintained our weeding and that was about it so even after all those problems um, I still ended up with a pound of plant and uh, from what I'm told uh, you know that's a pretty uh, average amount for somebody if they're doing their business plan in years two and three so the fact that I had at my first year um, of growing the plant and with the problems that I had to still have that kind of yield again I consider that a success mm -hmm. so and right now, again, I don't have anything sold yet, and that wasn't my intention. My intention is to figure out how um, to store it for an extended period of time, you know, hopefully for at least up to a year. And uh, that's where I'm at with my material now. I've got it dried down to 8% moisture, and I have it in uh, three different types of storage containers. Cool. And um, I check it about once a month, check the moisture, give it a smell, you know, mm -hmm. make sure there's no mold in it or anything. And I'm working on um, doing cannabinoid testing each month also, just to see whether I changed. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what, that's the goal, right? Is to figure out um, how, how you can store it for, for a long period without losing the quality of it. So uh, we'll see.
Yeah, well, I wish you success with that. <laughs> Thanks. Eddie, what are you doing with your farm? Well, um, that's yet to be seen at this point. The company that uh, we were originally contracted with, uh, we're not exactly sure what the status is with them. Yeah, uh huh. And um, so it's bailed and it's in a barn right now, you know, protected from the elements, and therefore it should keep for a fair amount of time. Uh, and I'm not overly concerned about that part. Uh, we were fortunate enough that. Um, in our contract, the seed was given to us, so we didn't have that upfront investment of purchasing the seed. The the only thing I have invested in it is my input costs and you know my fuel, yeah, labor. And so I, I don't have a lot in that, and the fact that that'll store for a long period of time, um, you know, I, I'll I'll get a, get a return on that eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that develop. What what did you use to harvest it with? Uh, a sickle bar okay. to cut it down, and then a rotary hay rake to, to turn it and to windrow it. And then we used a John Deere silage baler to bale it into round bales with the uh, plastic mesh wrapping. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, I, that seems to be what a lot of people are hoping and looking for is the future, you know, a lot of fiber. I, that's what we're putting, um, you know, it's where we think five to seven years, that, that's the long-term play is in fiber. Um, you know, the, the CBD market, that's just going to continue to drop and drop and drop to where um, eventually the the um, profits on it will still be good, but you know the amount of money that it, it takes to invest in an acre, um, you know, if it costs you four thousand dollars investment and your profit's only going to be a thousand dollars, well, that's not a business model. A lot of people are going to participate <laughs> in, right? I mean, that's still a great profit, but it's a it's a heavy risk. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we we feel like. Uh, that fiber is the long term, and, and more than likely, that's going to be a dual crop or mm -hmm. type of scenario. You know, I, I can really see that fiber and grain model mm -hmm. working in the future once those processors are in place. You know, once we've got fiber processors, you can ship a, a, a truckload of grain all across the country. You know, that's no big deal. They do it uh, with all other grains, but shipping big bales of fiber is just not cost effective. You've got to have fiber, regional fiber processing plants, you know, in order for, for that part of the industry to take off. And then at that point, when those two industries are together and, and that dual crop is a viable market, well, your traditional row crop farmer is able to do that with his existing equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no to little modifications at that point and, and now hemp just becomes a, a rotational crop. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's gonna be a beautiful thing. I think so. It, okay. It's another option, you know, that's that's what we're looking for, right? We're yeah. not looking most of us, at least as farmers, we're not looking to to become hemp farmers. We're mm -hmm. looking to uh, diversify our existing farms. Simple yeah. as that. Keep the farm long. That's profitable. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So what do you plan to grow for next season? That's still up in the air. I'm not exactly for sure. Uh, now, we have a cooperative that we formed um, in my part of the state. Uh, we call it um, the Heartland Hemp Cooperative, and we are an employee-owned cooperative to where 
the way our business model is set up is any revenue uh, or profits that the cooperative makes would go back as dividends to the members, you know, rather than being a for-profit business. So, mm -hmm. um, so to get back to answer your question, it, it sort of depends on what we decide as a group, okay. um, you know, as to how we want to, how we want to grow, what our model's going to be, and. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges in the CBD world is the labor, right? Yes. And so I think one of the critical value adds that us working together as a cooperative will be is that ability to um, hire labor. For instance, if you're looking to hire uh, harvesting labor, a lot of people are bringing uh, migrant labor in to do so. Well, you can't do that for two acres or five acres, you know, you've got to have a significant amount of acres together to keep them busy mm -hmm. for a little while, right? Well, so now if we've got 20 of us that are growing an acre a piece, um, or what have you, you know, we, mm -hmm. we feel like between us collectively we'll get enough um, you yeah, know, together. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And that goes all the way then through the weed eating process, you know, those that, that don't have the, their own um, you know, labor force to do it, we'll be able to, to help provide that, um, ideally. So we'll have to see how that pans out, what that vision looks like, and that'll really answer, you know, how, how much that I put out next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I wish you success with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Whenever we all need those prayers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it could be an interesting time. So nice show. You know, thanks for all you're doing. For, we appreciate uh, you uh, coming down and being part of it and, and having a booth here as well. We look forward to seeing you guys in January. We had a, a good time at your event last year and being a part of it. And uh, we look forward to, to being up there again this year. Yeah, you spoke at the very first I Have Michigan Conference. I did. I did. Yeah, it was a, another beautiful day. It was. It was like a little brisk. But the sun was shining. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 less, uh, yeah, yeah, we had a quick picture outside, I remember, because we were all freezing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. It's a, this is a time that we need to sit down and do our plans. Mm -hmm. That's so, right. So that's the goal. Is, uh, you know, we've been saying all year we're going to be smarter next year. Well, you know, next year's going to be here real soon. That's right. <laughs> so, Before we know it, spring's uh -huh. going to be here, and it's going to be time to... You know, either lay your plastic down, get your cover crops in, what have you, and mm -hmm. get ready to do it all again. So. Yeah, we can analyze all the data from from uh, the grows, you know, in 2019, and that'll help us make some good decisions yeah. in 2020. Or maybe at least better decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they're good or not. <laughs> so hopefully it'll be less uh, ready for That's right. You get the Less reactionary. I'm here with Justin Swanson, the president of the Midwest Hemp Council. Justin, we're 
closing up and uh, Hemp at the Crossroads, great show. Absolutely, um, you know, we were, uh, anytime you put something on for the first time, you're a little nervous. I know you're probably going through <laughs> that as well, um, but uh, couldn't have done it without our volunteers and some of these, um, you know, dedicated volunteers who've been with us for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, you can tell every, everyone's enthusiastic and on point, so well done. Thank you. So. Uh, Tell me about um, hemp in Indiana. What, how was the year? Any, any ideas at this point? So I always like to remind people from 2014 to 2018, we grew 24 acres as a state. Um, and this year alone, we licensed uh, just over 5,300. Um, we're waiting on final data to come in for this year. Uh, but we suspect around 3,000 of that got planted. Uh, and over half of that uh, is for fiber. So we're, we're excited on that to get farmers interested in what we think is um, kind of long-term game, mm -hmm. um, and also uh, really figuring out how to use the entire plant uh, in the growing process. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we're really excited, and I think Indiana's. Uh, I think I think a lot of the rest of the country is kind of looking at what we're doing here. Definitely, I have to commend you too on the job you did. Um, I don't know if it was just you or you had a team that put together their recommendations for the USDA. Well done. Yeah, thank you. It's um, um, one of my. Um, weird things I like to do is just take something really complicated and try to make it uh, as simple as possible. Um, and we don't mean for this infographic to be the gospel, but it's really intended to stimulate the conversation. Uh, we encourage our members and anyone else who's participating in the market um, to, to personalize this and, and tell the USDA how this directly impacts the farm or their business or other entrepreneur uh, ventures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need, we need to work hard to get that message out and, and everyone needs to be involved in the process, get that that conversation going. Yeah, on. you know, and, and it's it's interesting because a lot of, you know, and this is out of, you know, really in any industry, politics is a, a four-letter word and, and people shy away from it. Um, but if good people don't get involved in the process, what, you know, what are you left with? Right. Um, and, and none of this is going to change unless we have a unified voice, um, you know, again, telling the narrative and telling the story of the local impact uh, mm -hmm. on the farmer. Yep. Yeah. So the USDA, it's uh, interim rules, and when walk us through the process. You know, these, these we have sixty days to provide the comments. Um, the interim rule, from what I've read, is it true that these these interim rules are in place for twenty twenty regardless? Um, so it depends on your state. Um, here in Indiana, we're lucky that we um, um, created a pilot program under the two thousand fourteen Farm Bill. So a really, really important provision in the 18 Farm Bill that doesn't get talked about uh, a whole lot about is, they, is Congress intended and made sure that there was no, um, uh, no lapse, uh, meaning before USDA gets their program up and running and states still had their program. So 2014 programs won't sunset until next year. And so places like Indiana, where those USDA rules don't apply until essentially November of uh, 2020. So it really depends on the state. Yeah, and that's okay. So that's my understanding too, because I know Michigan has already stated that we're operating under the research uh, pilot program for 2020 as well. So under the 2014 Farm Bill, yes. Did you guys pass a, a pilot program? Yes. Okay. That, that's yep. how we grew this year. Yep. Perfect. Yep. yep. So you guys, and, and I feel. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see because some of these states passed legislation based on the 18 Farm Bill and made it explicit that we're not starting until USDA issues, you know, their, their regulations and those are final. So 
it'll be interesting to see how those states react to that that provision in their state law. Yeah, because if it's an in interim rule, it's not final, right? Well, it's it's yeah, it's called an interim final rule. So oh, it's okay. it's technically it was effective when they published it in the Federal Register, which was October thirty first. Um, so, like you mentioned, we had a, this narrow sixty day um, comment period that ends December thirtieth, um, and then um, USDA has the authority. Uh, to change or, or edit basically that final rule that was effective on October 31st. So that's why we're just harping, harping, harping on people to participate in the process. Don't sign petitions, not going to do anything. Go directly to the to USDA and submit your comments. That's the, the, the only way to have a true impact. Overwhelm them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and look, it, this isn't going to be the last time. Like People who have been operating in this industry since 2014 understand that every opportunity for an obstacle to get placed in front of us, they take, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be used to the obstacles, get around them, find a way around them, and don't get set in ways. You have to have a business model that's flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, and that's certainly true in this industry. Isn't yes, it? absolutely. Yeah. And it's not really too different than any other industry. We're just, we're so new that we're, you know, regulators are, haven't dealt with this before. Um, farmers haven't dealt with it before. So it's just a lot of unknown and it just takes um, you know, take, you know, pain is a part of life, right? And mm -hmm. you've got to get through that pain to continue on and, and persevere. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your background. What, what, what brought you here? Um, so I always blame Jamie Campbell Petty for getting me involved in this. <laughs> um, just, I think like just about everybody in Indiana. Um, I just had, I, I kind of showed up like everyone else back in the day. Purdue had their, their hemp field day. I showed up with my dad. I'm like, we're gonna buy some land and we're gonna start growing hemp and make a bunch of money, right? Mm -hmm. um, it took me about 20 minutes to find out I want nothing to do with farming and I don't know anything about farming. <laughs> um, and I've always enjoyed policy. Um, and I saw that I could bring value um, really to this dedicated group of volunteers um, on the policy side. So I'm sorry, that's my son, Archer, if you can hear that. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I got involved. And, and again, it's, it's just this fascinating intersection of, of state and federal law, along with state regulations, um, that it's really a once in a generational opportunity to be involved in. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it's a exciting time. Exciting time. So what's next for uh, Midwest Hemp Council? So we are, um, we have a statutory seat on the Indiana Hemp Advisory Committee. Um, and this is the committee that was established this year to provide guidance um, and feedback to our seed commissioner in the development of our state plan. So we are all in on that development and, and providing that feedback. Um, so we're anxiously awaiting uh, the seed commissioner uh, to release our state plan. Um, and that's really going to, again to set us up for that full blown commercial year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, wish you guys success. Thanks for hosting this show. Yeah, and, and, and sorry, I'd be remiss too. Um, we are, uh, um, there's a handful of plaintiffs from Indiana, including Midwest Hemp Council, on uh, challenging this, our state's ban on what they call smokable hemp. Yes. Um, which I hate that term. Um, I've been trying to coin it as craft hemp flower. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, and in, in for people who, who are listening may not be aware, I mean, this is just another delivery method of CBD to the body. It's no different than, than CBD oil or a vape pen, CBD vape pen. In fact, it may be safer right now. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have mm -hmm. seen the headlines on, on the news for some of the carrier oil, oils people were using and cutting corners and, and putting unsafe products on the market. Um, so we were successful on the, our, uh, we were granted our preliminary injunction here. Uh, it did get appealed up to the Seventh Circuit. So we'll be arguing, arguing that uh, in the coming months. And I think one of our briefs due is the uh, is due after the day after Christmas. So it was a nice present from the court oh, for us. Great, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so 
Yeah, that, thanks for taking on that fight. That's really something that I think everybody in the country is focused on because that's the highest value for the farmer. Absolutely. We, we don't want to take that away. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, and I wish I would have uh, put this in, the, in our briefing, but um, uh, Judge Barker, who um, uh, she's, you know, I think around 76 years old and was a Reagan appointee uh, on the federal court, been there a long time, um, and she said it best. She said, so it kind of sounds like uh, this, is, this is similar to telling a cattle farmer he can sell beef but just not steak. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, yeah. I wish we would have thought of that. Uh, but she nailed it, yeah. um, and we're pretty confident we're going to continue to be successful. And to your point, I think a state like Indiana, where it shows the industry is unified and is going to start sticking up for itself, mm -hmm. I think it sends an awesome message around the country to take us seriously and to start looking at the economic impact uh, hemp is going to have on our farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so thanks for that work. Yeah. really appreciate it's it. It's been fun. Keep us posted, and I hope we see you in Lansing in January. Yeah, uh, I'm going to try to make it there, but uh, it's our legislative session, so I'm, I'll probably be at the State House 24-7, uh, but I know we'll have representation there. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for all you're doing. Yeah, Justin. looking forward to the conference. Thanks. John Thomas from Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Uh, JMT Associates working with Davis Farms, a uh, genetic company that uh, produces all of our own genetics. Right, and uh, your mission here is really you're trying to help farmers with quality seed. Right, so what we learned early on in Oregon was basically as we produce the good quality genetics to grow hemp, it wasn't enough to just sell a farmer's seed because he didn't have any backdrop of how to grow it, how to harvest it, how to dry it. So we created sort of an arm, which is what I do, is the boots on the ground farm consulting to sort of you purchase the seeds from Davis Farms and then you utilize my information to work to help you learn how to grow it and how to, how to get all the way to the end to have an end product ready for sale in the CBD market. So you're, you're providing support beyond right. just Say, here's the seed, go make it right. happen. Right, so, uh, you know, what's the spacing on this? Am I going to do uh, black plastic? Am I going to do a, a pivot system? You know, what's my fertigation schedule or prescription look like? You know, when do I do 20-20-20? When do I do, you know, 30-30-0? Uh, you know, kind of thing. It's all going to be, you know, not only what you give the plant, but when. And then you're going to work into how are you going to keep weed mitigation and how are you going to do your harvesting? Is it going to be mechanical, manual? Are you going to combine? Are you going to mill? Are you going to hand shuck? Mm. How are you going to dry it all? Are you going to do it in, you know, mechanically dried, uh, fence dried, you know, barn dried, you know, how is this all going to work? Because all of those types of things can change the components of your of your product. The final product right. So, right. for example, guys who go through and maybe have a great genetics, they buy our genetics, they run through our consulting and the spacing, they run through our labor and harvesting techniques, and then when they're ready to put it in the super sacks, they throw it through a wood chipper, and you just put all Oops. the, yeah, right. So, you know, you just ruined a really good product. If you dry it incorrectly and it goes moldy and it gets nasty, I mean, that can be, you know, incorrect. Yeah. If it's not dried to the levels that it needs to be before in the super sack, 
you know, or when you are done, how are you storing this, right? Mm -hmm. Is it in a, you know, hot barn in the, in the sun or, you know, a Connex box or, you know, something like that. There's a lot of different ways to, to ruin a good crop, right? So Mr. Optimism here. Right. You know, so there's, <laughs> you can screw it up a yes, lot of ways. Yes, it's really easy to well, screw it up. But but it, it's, it's easier to screw up if you don't start with good genetics. That's right? right. That's right. That's the whole thing is genetics is the foundation of your success. Now, there's still plenty of ways to mess that up on down the line. Uh -huh. But certainly once you make that poor decision get, get of bad genetics, start. yeah, you're, 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 you're doomed. I mean... So in Davis Farms in Oregon, uh, from prior conversations, it sounded like you had some greenhouses and different situations set up to do some testing for different environments. Right. So we had done multiple testing within an environment, as you know, testing the freezing capacity, uh, the frost, and the, and the freezing for the for the small starts. Um, you know, the ones that survive, we hand select those to move on. We, we did some pest environments, some pest testing. Um, all of that type of thing has been done internally. This season, 2019 now, we've released that early this year to uh, the United States. So we deliberately tried to stay out of Oregon because we're, we're from there. We, we grew it there. We know how it works there. We have our own test farms internally and our other test farmers in Oregon that are growing our stuff for multiple years now. So we pushed to the Californias, to Oregon, or I'm sorry, to Colorado, to uh, Montana, Oklahoma, Vermont, you know, getting these type of different environments and microclimates to prove how exactly, uh, you know, this would, would demonstrate in the field, right? So we can do so much lab testing, but at the end of the day, the ladies in the field are our best salespeople, right? right? And so is that data from that testimonial from that farmer. So what, what kind of timeline, when, do you, when did you guys start coming up with these genetics? We started about five, six years ago uh, to really pinpoint sort of our own genetic line and start to start the iteration process, mm -hmm. right? So that's, you know, we like these expressions, let's go 10,000 plants with these two, you know, mother, uh, with this mother plant, uh, we pick the best 10. And then from those 10 plants, we go to another 10,000 iterations, pick the best 10 of those. And each time gauging the expressions that we want to uh, mm -hmm. either downplay or to promote. And then we just continually on down the line so that when you're doing those types of testing over many iterations, many years, you're stabilizing your genetics. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest problem in today's market is that uh, you may test as a feminized seed, but you have the trait in, within the seed that your, your feminization lab will pick up that can be male or can be hermaphrodite. Mm -hmm. And Mother Nature always wins. So if your, you know, quote unquote, using my air quotes here, feminized uh -huh. seed reaches a 10 or 25 acre field, and Mother Nature realizes, hey, we have way too many females. We need some males. We want to reproduce. That's evolution, right? Where all the DNA, you know, coding is done. She'll switch those hermaphrodites, the ones with that expression, over to a male, either to hermaphrodite or to go just straight male. And that's really a stability factor in your genetics. So if you can work on that over the years to do, and that's the problem, like I said, nowadays people are just, you know, this one's certified and that one's certified and it's not stable and we put them together and oh, here we have you know, certified or feminized seed because the mom and dad were. 
that's not how it works. I mean, you need to work on a single line and work on that single stability factor to continually increase the stability and decrease the hermaphrodite uh, expression or the male expression. So it's something you need to work on over time. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of us in Michigan grew a variety called Young Sim 10. Mm -hmm. And uh, my partner and I have Blaine, he uh, ran down in Tennessee, ran into the gentleman that says, oh, that's, I created that strain, you know, that genetic, and it was sold to you wrong. It's designed to throw off a variety of different plants so you could pick that one type of plant that you want to move on with. And, oh, not uh, as a mass production right, field Right, not plant. as a mass oh. production. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're planting a bunch of seedlings. We have a bunch of seedlings, and it's like, wow, that's weird. This is short and bushy. This is tall. I mean, what's going on here? Right. You know, and, and so it kind of makes sense, you know, that... Exactly. Uh, so our genetics, for example, or anyone that has a good line of genetics, you will see an incredible uniformity within your field. I mean, literally to, you know, within an inch or less, they'll be the same exact size. They'll all look the same. I mean, it will be like they look like clones. That's a they're mature all, genetic. It's a mature genetic, right? Because they're all very, very uniform. You won't, you'll, if you see a field that kind of goes up and down in height alone, just as you approach it, you should know this is not a stable cultivar mm. and most likely has some really bad expressions that are being pushed from one plant to another. And that's really just stability. It's just a matter of, you know, the multiple iterations of pushing that same expression over and over and over again. Now with the USDA rules at 0.3%, you know, it would be nice if they'd move off that. Yes. But, you know, that's, and, and the language with the DEA involved, the way it's set up currently, we really want to be careful to maintain, maintain under that 0.3%. Yes, correct. And, the, and that's where things get a little uh, interesting, just in the sense that the established market like Oregon or Colorado have been running under the Delta 9 and now have to transfer, you know, uh, move into so the total, total TFC. Yeah. Now I think that you in the Midwest will have an advantage at starting there so you're, it's not a re-education process like it will be mm -hmm. in the West. Um, one of the things that we have in our genetics is we, we tried to stay ahead of the curve and to see this coming so we really focused our genetics on staying below that point three and now with our you know 14 16 different states that are out there we can prove from these testimonials and from the farmers testing that yes in fact it is below you know the the, the federal level of 0.3 total THC uh, so that's something we're really trying to push because I think that um, that's something that needs to be to be looked at in Indiana, in Ohio, and areas that are going to be just total THC right out of the gate with no attachment really with medical or recreation marijuana. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think that it's important to say, uh, farmers have to realize that there is a sort of linear connection, if you will, between the production of cannabinoids. So for example, if someone tells you at this stage in the game that they have a genetic that they have decreased significantly the THC level, but increased T, uh, CBD, yeah. that doesn't make sense. It's, they're sort of in lockstep. Yeah. So like as one goes down, the other goes down. As one goes up, the other goes up. So for example, hearing things like 18% CBD and below 0.3, no, that's, that's not, that's not out there. Not really. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not there yet. It's not to say that it's not possible. It's just that we're not there yet because we haven't had to be. And doesn't the, 
you know, there's different stresses that can come along the way that's going to cause the plant to produce more THC? Certainly, yes. There, you know, things, when you look at the protection level for the plant, so its defense mechanism, uh, those oils and the THC, uh, the THC acts as like a, like a, a sunblock, if you will. Right, so it's gonna produce more of that to, if it's getting a lot of intense heat and sun. Same thing goes with cold, right? When it starts to get really, really cold, a lot of those oils will help protect the plant. Um, so it will produce those in greater effects if you're getting like a, if you're, you're harvesting late and you're getting a pretty harsh fall of colder temperatures at night. So those are all things that play into the factor. This still at the end of the day though, you, you wanna get multiple tests from the same genetics that prove that it's it's at that level right um, so anyway so the, the genetic testing I think is important to look at uh, not only from the standpoint of you as a farmer okay what should I grow but then also looking at it from the standpoint of what does it show at the end of the line you know so somebody that's already grown it what did they have for test results what did it look like what climate were they in you know was it cold and wet was it warm and sunny you know is it high elevation those those types of tests you should see some variation in all genetic genetics mm -hmm. so that's something to look at yeah. so for example you know not to throw the farmers under the bus but a lot of farmers including oregon when we started got into hemp and everybody was growing cherry wine, cherry blossom, because yeah. Colorado did, right? We see a lot of that in Indiana or Michigan or the Midwest, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it worked there, right? Yeah. Why would we choose that? It's not necessarily geared to these type of climates or very few farmers, if any, were successful growing that in Oregon because it's just a different seed for a different environment. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have something that's universal that can work, you know, in Oklahoma, in Texas, in Vermont, in Montana. The soil base is going to be different Correct. in each climate. So all those things. So, And that's a, that's a great point, uh, Dave, because ultimately what I try to tell the farmers realize you grow what you grow because your dad taught you and that your dad taught his dad, right? So all the way down the line, you've had somebody to show you how to do this. This is a new crop. Yeah. So you're a good farmer, you have mm -hmm. good land, you have good water, but you've never done this before. So get some help. Uh, horticulturists alone will make a enormous difference on your yield because you don't know hemp well enough that he will know not only what to give the plant but when to do it mm -hmm. right whether it's in the early stages the middle you know uh, veg stage when it starts to flower is a total prescript different prescription so things change down the line and knowing how to do that when to do that as a farmer will really make a difference between an average crop and a bumper crop that makes sense mm -hmm. so it's all uh, we're all learning yes. this year Yes. It's exciting. It's one of the greatest phrases I've ever heard after a year, uh, you know, the first year for a farmer, you know, how to go. And if he says to me, boy, I learned a lot. Those are the guys <laughs> I really like working with yep. because they've kind of, you know, trudged through the, the trials and tribulations. You know, they've heard a lot. They've deciphered a lot of information. And more importantly, they've done it hands on. Right. They've been there to see it with their own eyes. Yep. So it's no longer a, you know, a figment of their imagination or stories from their neighbor, right? They've done it. I know yeah. how this works. Yeah, our slogan's been, uh, we're all going to be smarter next year. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a good slogan.
So I like that. speaking of next year, I understand you're going to come into Michigan. Yes, absolutely. The, Very much looking forward to the IHEMP conference Mid, in Lansing. Midwest IHEMP Expo. Yes, yes. January, because everybody wants to be in Michigan in January. Right? Absolutely. Yes, right. <laughs> yes. Hopefully won't be below zero. Uh, I know last time I was yep. there, it was like minus 20. If you book your room early at the Radisson, we, we, they didn't have a ton of rooms, but there's rooms available. Book your okay. rooms. Covered bridge right from the Radisson right to the convention center. You don't have to go outside. I love it. So I can be in a t-shirt all day in yes, January in Michigan. Yes. I love it. All Beautiful right. thing. So Perfect. we look, look forward to greeting you in Michigan. Yes. Uh, it's great to connect with you here at uh, yep. the Crossroads. Good to see you again, too. A lot, a lot of cool people here in uh, Indiana. Yes. So uh, This is a good show. Very good yeah. conference. I like it. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for your time, John. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So I'm here with, with Michael Peters of Full Spectrum Insurance. Uh, Mike has launched a new business that's entirely focused on the hemp cannabis industry. Uh, point, both, both sides of the point three, Mike? Yeah, that's correct. We, uh, we set up a brokerage, an insurance brokerage, that is tailored to handle the insurance needs of hemp and cannabis-specific businesses. So. Unlike a lot of brokerages out there, we actually built from the ground up uh, only to cater to this clientele. Um, this is a super sub-specialized industry, and it requires the same sort of level of commitment from an insurance brokerage. Okay. Yeah, and that's – there. how many people like yourself are there in the insurance industry? We find that in the banking and insurance, uh, people generally just turn and run, you know, if you have hemp in your name. <laughs> So, do you do you you see yourself as an outlier? Are you unique? I like to think yes. You know, we, we saw an opportunity in this market. I, you know, I have a lot of friends and family that are involved in in this space. Um, and so, you know, as I look to figure out, I guess to back it up just a second. You know, I, you know, as I talk with my friends and family who are in this space, you know, I, I always joke that we get to Friday night, they'd all be they'd all be thrilled, and I'd be going man, you guys seem so happy doing what you're doing. How can I get involved and help you guys out? And what I realized is that there was a lack of, there was a lack of insurance specialists who dealt in this space. Um, from what I know, there's one other broker um, in the Midwest who is actually sub-specialized in this. Um, they're actually the IMA, and we spoke with them on an insurance panel the other day. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes us unique is the fact that we built this from the ground up only to cater to hemp and cannabis businesses and to place their insurance. So we're not doing home boat and auto. Um, and then we brought in a bunch of specialists who have industry experience to actually be our sales individuals for the insurance product. So the way that that's unique is that we said, look, you know, insurance is complicated enough. There's already a high level of distrust in the industry. We need to find a way to connect with our insurance. So instead of hiring a bunch of people who have 20 years of insurance industry placing miscellaneous risks, we decided to hire on people who have industry experience in hemp and cannabis. So, for instance, we brought my dad on board, who has 30 years in engineering, manufacturing, tool and dye 
manufacturers and processors because he truly understands what they're going through on a day-to-day basis in their business. And then he goes in, works with that team, and then comes back to me and says, okay, so what's, what are the best options to deal with this type of business, and how do we make a unique package for this unique company? And so we kind of flipped the model on the head and said instead of building on another division um, and trying to, trying, to, um, trying to take an existing model and plug it into this space, we flipped it upside down and built it from the ground up to be customer-centric. That's cool. So, you know, you have people that, you, you obviously, from our conversations, you have a deep background in, in the insurance. You said you, you specialize in medical malpractice. That must be a complicated field. So that, that must lend some, some uh, you know, experience to, to, that you can translate over into this project. That's absolutely right. So medical malpractice is, um, I mean, it's, it's extremely complicated. And what's interesting is that the carriers in that space or the insurance companies tend to be very specific to medical malpractice. So throughout my years, I've spent a, a number of years as uh, vice president for, um, for a Berkshire Hathaway medical malpractice insurance company. Um, and what we specialized in was, was creating coverage forms that were tailored specific to a to a subset of uh, physicians or allied healthcare professionals, et cetera. Um, so you can't, again, you can't take your standard uh, policy and just plug it in. You have to make sure that your, your policy features are applicable to the industry in which your insured is, is working. Um, so we can take that same sort of model and plug it into uh, hemp and cannabis, obviously dependent on state law. Um, but the good news is, is that we're set up to handle a multi-state operation because we're licensed throughout the Midwest and back in the West. Okay. And what type of, you know, insurance is about mitigating risk, right? So we, we have this economic opportunity for some commerce through this plant, uh, but it, it, it comes with risks. You know, some of those risks, I'm, you know, like the crop insurance, that's going to be government uh, uh, fund, you know, that, that's their program. That's not something you do, right? So it's, what type of risks do you see as most important uh, in, in the hemp industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's going to depend on which part of the vertical your business operates in, right? So if you're a cultivator, you're still going to need that crop insurance. Now, what's, you know, we have gotten some guidance from the USDA. Um, they will be able to insure um, certain cultivation operations up to $8.5 million um, through the federal plan. Now, what's interesting is that sometimes there are farms that fall outside of what would be the typical risk profile through the, um, you know, through the egg program. Um, so when that's the case, we've gone out to market and partnered with carriers who can provide custom, uh, customized solutions for unique exposures that fall out of your traditional government insured risk. So you can get, you know, you can get insurance for your indoor, uh, operations, greenhouses, outdoor operations that may not um, may not fit perfectly with the federal program. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we're, we're looking to ensure everything from cultivators all the way through uh, retail distributors. So that means that if you have a company, say, that is working with seedlings and they sell those seedlings to a farm and those seedlings fail, you know, what happens in that event? Who's responsible for the loss that the farm sustains, right? Because their entire business model 
was planned around the, the revenue that was going to be generated from the purchase of those seats. So when a situation like that occurs, that's where we step in and say, hey, look, you know, company doing the seedlings, we can insure you for, you know, product liability exposure in case what you're selling uh, to your clients fails and they end up with a substantial loss. Now, on the other side, we can insure the business that may have bought those seedlings for those farmers, right? So they purchase them and we can say, look, you know, we're going to insure your your operation and, and as part of your policy of business interruption expenses. Um, so if there is a catastrophic loss like that, then we can step in to help lessen, um, you know, the loss that would have occurred. So we're working with, with literally everybody in the vertical. And again, in states where uh, hemp and cannabis is legal, we have hemp and cannabis specific partnerships with insurance carriers. Mm-hmm. So really, it's it's seed to sale. And that's the way that we like to say it. It's seed to sale insurance. If it's, if it's hemp or cannabis related, we insure it. One of the big problems a lot of farmers experienced this year was theft. Um, what, how's how's that handled? Yeah, another good question. So theft is typically part of a, a general commercial general liability policy. So we would set that up um, to make sure that you're covered against. You know, that's a fairly common peril is theft. A lot of people are operating high in cash. Our carriers understand that, and again, you know, the partners that we decide to work with, they've you know, they're, they're really only involved in insuring this space. And that's crucial because they understand the concerns of business owners. And a big one, of course, is theft. So there's, um, there are typically sublimits on a policy that address how much theft coverage you have. And again, you know, there's a deductible on that. But uh, once we meet the deductible, uh, we can typically file the claim. So that's certainly something that you want to review um, each and every time that we, you know, as we go through our policy review with our insurers. That's that's the portion that we look at to make sure it's covered. Okay, so we, you know, someone uh, selling, you know, their own brand of CBD products to consumers, they're probably going to need some type of product liability insurance. They might need to cover their uh, inventory, you know, against loss. Um, what what other types of insurances are, are out there for the industry? Yeah, so I mean, we've got business owner policies, cyber policies, employment practice liability. Um, you know, directors and officers insurance. So the reality is, is that um, we we can specifically place um, really about any risk out there, as long as the company that we're placing it for, so our insured is involved in the hemp and cannabis industry, hemp and or cannabis, depending on state law. Okay, and and typically what we found that uh you know the hemp industry is you know, considered a high risk industry. And so if we're looking to buy anything for this industry, we pay an exorbitant amount. You know, there's a premium based on, on that. What, how's that work in the insurance industry? Yeah, good question. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. There are companies, there are insurance companies because we're a brokerage, right? So when a client comes to us, we go out to the industry and say, hey, look, this is the risk that we're working with. This is what our client has going on. These are the products that we need quoted. And then we may approach, you know, four or five different carriers to get the best quote in the door, right? Mm-hmm. You're right in the sense that a lot of times with this being a what we would consider a non-standard market, um, that premiums are going to be higher. Now, with that being said, um, we found a way to decrease uh, that overall cost for this policy is to place it with a carrier that specializes in these risks. And the reason being is that obviously you have power in numbers, right? So the more of these claims that you're dealing with, the more risk management you're dealing with within 
this specialty, uh, the more efficient you can be to provide that. So, so our carriers, um, again, you know, depending on which markets we go to, um, minimum premium can be between fifteen hundred and five thousand uh, dollars. What's crucial to remember is that you know insurance is a risk mitigation uh, tool as much as it is a growth tool. And the way the reason that I say that is because everybody everybody makes their business plans and projects revenue over the course of the year. Now, any sort of catastrophic loss, yeah, that's disastrous. That's going to set you back. But the key that I like to like people to focus on, you know, because everyone always thinks that. You know, insurance is onerous, you know, and it's, it's, it's punitive in nature. But the reality is that if you sustain a major loss, your insurance acts with a growth tool so that you can see your sales plan through and see your business's revenue plan through without taking a huge hit and then being down as you go into the next year of operation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, just business. Business as usual. But uh, we're, we're doing it with half. It's a beautiful thing. So... As you started out, you know, one of your comments is, you know, your friends are in the industry, and um, it, it, it's really a different culture when you get around these farmers, don't you think? You know, it's uh, you know, people are, are building something new, and they're excited about it, and they're excited about how, how they're going to help, uh, you know, not only their economy, but, you know, their, their world, you know, the people around them. Well, that's exactly it, and then there's a huge risk, right? I mean, as you look at convert a farm, I mean, your per acreage cost is exponentially greater than it was to plant corn or soybeans. Mm-hmm. So as you look to make that investment, this is where the insurance can come in and say, hey, look, as you slowly, as you slowly convert your farm over, let's say that you want to grow five or ten acres, you're one. Well, great. You know, give a specialist in this field a call to help plan, um, again, for potential losses by utilizing insurance, but also, you know, to protect your future revenue stream. So... It's uh, having having the in-field expertise is crucial. I mean, we just came from the Midwest Hemp Council Hemp at the Crossroads um, trade show, and it was it was quite interesting to, to listen to the stories of all the people who have branched out and been entrepreneurs in the space. Um, and there's a camaraderie with that, right? So we wanted to be able to share in that, and that's that's again why we built this from the ground up. Uh, we're employee owned and operated, and uh, we took we took no outside investment, which is which is, uh, it's scary, but it means that we're in the same boat as our insurance. So as you grow, we grow, mm-hmm. and we are truly invested in making sure that, that you grow. Excellent. So how do people find you? Uh, people can go to our website. Um, it's FSC, so Frank Sam Charlie, I-N-S dot com. Um, if anybody has questions, uh, wants to set an appointment, wants to uh, learn a little bit more about what we do or what we do, our team is, always available and happy to talk um you can you know you feel free to reach out to our team line and one of us will, will be right there to help you out and that's uh so it's 260-202-0800 uh feel free to send our team an email also you can send it to m peters at ffcins.com can't wait to hear from him it's been a pleasure to, to meet you down in Indianapolis. We look forward to seeing you at the Midwest I have back to the Kick off the 2020 
Michigan Podcast. Have a question, comment, or suggestion? Email Dave at ihempmichigan.com. Special thanks to Eclectic Sales and Creative Marketing, LLC, for their audio editing. iHemp Michigan is committed to the whole plant success of industrial hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Get involved. Start by visiting ihempmichigan.com. Through fires, floods, and freezing weather, we will always stand with the American farmers. 